This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. So we started in the Gospels, and we saw that Jesus promised that the Spirit was going to be poured out. Now, the Holy Spirit is obviously in the Old Testament, but Jesus promised that the Spirit, after His resurrection and ascension, was going to be poured out in a new way. And so we started in the Gospels with the promises of Christ, and then, last time, we were in the, in the first part of Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Today, we're going to be at the end of chapter 2 in verses 42 through 47. And what we're going to see here is what happens in a community when the Holy Spirit is pervasive within that community. Acts 2, 42 through 47 just gives us a beautiful vision of Spirit-filled community. In fact, we're going to take a couple of messages to unpack what we see here. And today, we're going to focus on teaching and fellowship. So Acts 2, and let's look together at verses 42 through 47, if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Luke tells us, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, as we have read your word, we pray now for grace to understand it and apply it. We thank you for the incredible vision that this text gives us of, of what the church of Jesus Christ is like when the Holy Spirit is filling the lives of believers and filling that community. And as we focus this morning on how teaching plays into that and, and how fellowship plays into that, we pray that you would fire our hearts and our imaginations with what could and should be in regard to the church that you love so much that you died for it. Bless our time together. May your Holy Spirit Open the eyes of our hearts to see your word and understand it and apply it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1930s, in Nazi Germany, as pressure and persecution was mounting on Jewish people, Christians who stood up for Jewish people and who stood for the truth of God's word also found themselves being persecuted. And the Christians who refused to cooperate with the evil that they saw all around them formed a community of churches that they called the Confessing Church. And 
the confessing churches refused to cooperate with, with Hitler and with the persecution of the Jews and, and, and the evil that was happening around them. And of course, they, they could not really function uh, that much out in the open, and they needed a place to train their pastors. So that since they couldn't really have a, a seminary that was known, they formed sort of an underground seminary at the town of Finkenwalde. And they appointed the pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer to head up that seminary. So these students and professors lived together, they studied together, they worshipped together, and, and Bonhoeffer really sought to, to, to draw them into an experience of community, sort of like we, we see in the pages of the New Testament among the early believers. And of course, Bonhoeffer was eventually martyred and the seminary was closed, but not before Bonhoeffer wrote one of his most classic books about that experience in that underground seminary. It's called Life Together. It's short, but just a powerful read on Christian community. You know, we see a picture of community in this, these last verses of Acts 2, don't we? Just a beautiful picture of, of life together. And so we're going to begin looking at that uh, this morning. And just kind of to review, last time we were in the first part of Acts 2, so we see the Holy Spirit being poured out on the believers. And it's very noteworthy to, to, to see what kind of situation, what kind of position were they in when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So the very first verse of chapter 2 tells us when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And Luke means to communicate more than the fact that they were all physically together in the same room. What he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit, in coming upon um, this group of believers, the, the underlying message was that the the Holy Spirit was not going to work so much through disconnected individuals as He was through individuals who were bound together in community, in the church. Now we come to the end of Acts 2. And we see what it looks like in a community of believers when the Holy Spirit is, is filling that community. George Bernard Shaw uh, once said this. He said, some people look at things as they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. That's a great definition of vision. But when it comes to getting a vision for the church... We don't have to dream of things that never were. We can look at the things that were, right? We, we, can, we can look here in the pages of the New Testament and, and see you know, this was what the early church was like. Now, before we begin to unpack uh, this text, um, 
we need to recognize something, and it's this. If you were to read these verses in isolation, you would think, well, the early church had no problems. I mean, this was utopia, right? This was like, I, this was totally, this ideal, uh, utopian world. Well, um, we don't look at text in isolation, right? We know that we look at text in context. And you don't have to read very far in Acts to see that things were not perfect. Even in the early church, you know, it, it, church life could be messy, right? And, uh, and we see that in all the epistles as well, which are written to churches. So even in the early believers, okay, it, it, was, it was messy. And you know why? Because people were messy. <laughs> okay, it's because we're all broken people, right? We're all sinners. We're forgiven sinners, yes, but <clears throat> we're still broken. We're, we're st- we're not, we haven't arrived. You know, we're all still in process. We're under construction, right? So um, it was not ideal. You don't see the problems in verses 42 through 47, but they're there. And you don't have to read far in Acts to see them. However, despite their problems, something powerful was happening in this community of believers. And it's something that I think we can draw a great deal of vision from. A couple of years ago, uh, the University of Kentucky's basketball team was basically composed of all freshmen. And so these young guys are coming in, and their coach, John Calipari, uh, sat down with, with each one of these incoming freshman recruits. And he sat down across from each one of them, and he said, I want you to tell me what it looks like when you're playing at your highest level. When you're, when, you're having, when you're playing at your highest level and when you're having fun out there on the court, tell me what that looks like. So each one of these young guys just kind of painted a picture for him. You know? They said, hey, this is what it looks like. When I'm, when I'm at my best on the court and having fun, this is what it looks like. And then Calipari said to each one of them, now how can I help you get there? You know, this text kind of shows us how to get there in terms of, of what spirit-filled community is, is like. So let's look at a couple of aspects of this today, and we're going to take another Sunday and unpack it even more. But the first thing that we see is this. Spirit-filled community is a community where the Spirit is working through the teaching of God's Word. So Luke tells us here in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the tense here indicates that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In fact, that they had a craving for the teaching of God's Word. They were living out what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2.2 when he says like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, if you feel like that your hunger for God's word is not what you would like it to be, if you feel like you don't crave God's word as much as you would like to, then I would encourage you to do two things. First of all, pray for it, because God answers prayer. And second, just begin to dig into it and to taste it. Because the more that you taste 
of God's word, the more you want it. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So as we begin to taste of the goodness of the Lord through his word, we, we want even more of that. Now, what is the link between the Spirit and the Word? This series is about life in the Spirit. What is the link between the Spirit of God and the Word of God? Well, Paul, in Ephesians 6, as he's talking about the armor of God, he says this in Ephesians 6, 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Paul says that the, the Word of, of, of God is like the, the sword of the Spirit. So when you think about a sword, okay, a sword is something that you take up and that you wield. Okay, Paul here is saying that the, the Spirit wields the word. So what, what kind of a weapon is a sword? It's a killing weapon, right? So um, how is sin killed in our lives? Well, Romans 8.13 tells us that by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of, of sin. Okay, so we have to kill sin by the power of the Spirit, but... The, 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 the sword of the Spirit is God's Word. So the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit has this role to play in killing sin in our lives. Uh, what else when we take up a sword? Okay? A, a sword um, it, it penetrates, right? And so in the hands of God and the lives of believers, the Word of God penetrates into the deep places in our hearts where we need healing and cleansing and it gets down into the parts of our, our minds and our hearts that we can't get to on our own. So Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And listen, when you read the New Testament, you see that, that the Spirit was, was unleashed in the lives of believers as they heard the teaching of the Word. Paul says in Galatians 3.5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, Paul here in Galatians is writing to believers who were being tempted to go back to the works of the law. They were being tempted to go back to try to earn their acceptance with God through their works again. And Paul is reminding them, he's saying, hey guys, remember? You know, when God, when the Spirit of God began to, to work powerfully and miraculously in you and through you, did that happen through works of the law? Or did that happen as you heard the Word of God with faith? 
And it's a rhetorical question, okay? He knew. It had happened. God began to work powerfully in them and through them as they heard the Word of God with faith. And not only that, but in Romans 10, Paul tells us that it's the, it's the Spirit working through the Word that ignites faith in us to begin with. He says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word Christ. And so the Spirit works through the Word to ignite faith in unbelievers and to strengthen the faith of believers. I had a great experience last Sunday. I missed you guys, but um, I was in New York with one of my daughters, and we went to church on the Upper West Side of Manhattan at Redeemer uh, Church. And I don't often get to sit in a congregation and listen to preaching. And so when I do, it's a real treat for me. Um, I look forward to it, and I, and I, I love it. And so uh, last Sunday morning, as I sat there and was just kind of able to take in the Word and hear the Word, wow, I mean, just as the Word of God was expounded and as Christ was lifted up, I mean, I felt tears welling in my eyes and faith welling in my heart. I walked out of there with my faith built. It was, it was strengthened. Okay, that was the Holy Spirit working through His Word. Now, when we look at the early church, we see that they were, the early believers were taking in God, the teaching of God's Word basically in three settings. Okay, they were getting it in larger groups. So we saw last time at the beginning of chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches, and so that's a big group of people. Okay, 3,000 people came to Christ that day. We know it was a big group. So they were getting it in larger groups, but verse 46 here tells us that they were also meeting in homes, which would necessitate smaller groups. So there was teaching that was happening in small groups as well. And then obviously these believers were that we're studying and meditating on God's Word on their own. And we need the Word of God in all three of those settings as well. Okay, we, for healthy Christian growth, we need God's Word in, in, in a larger group like this, in worship services where the, the Bible is expounded. But we also need it in smaller groups where you have a smaller group of believers uh, sitting around with open Bibles and open hearts and digging into the text and just helping one another. And then obviously we need the group of one, <laughs> okay, when we're meeting alone with God each day um, and taking in the Word. We need it in all three of those settings as well. And, and verse 42 tells us that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what does that mean for us? The apostles aren't around today, but do we have the apostles' teaching today? Well, think about what they were teaching, okay? So the apostles were teaching about the resurrection, obviously. They were eyewitnesses. Um, they were teaching about the, uh, the, the events of the ministry of Christ and the teaching of Christ, what was going to eventually become what? The New Testament. So they were teaching what was going to become the New Testament, and also they were teaching the Old Testament. For instance, last time we saw that when Peter gets up and preaches on Pentecost, where does he draw from? The book of Joel and the Old Testament. So they were teaching basically the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, there is an 
a massive and obvious implication of this for the church today. And that is that our teaching needs to be from the Bible. Okay, what we desperately need is biblical teaching. Um, and so we need to understand that the Bible is not like any other book. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore it has a supernatural power that no other book has. So Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. Remember last time we talked about the fact that the word breath in Greek is related to the word spirit. Okay, so the, the Scripture is breathed out by the Spirit of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if God's Word has the power, okay, the Spirit working through the Word has the power to do all of this, then should we not be digging into it? Right? Not just skimming it, but digging into it. Mining the treasures of the Word. You know, John Piper says, you know, if you rake, all you get is leaves, but if you dig, you get diamonds. So we don't want to be a church that just rakes. We want to be a church that digs into the Word and mines the treasures of God's Word. And for this to happen, the preaching and teaching has to be expositional. And what I mean by that is that, you know, Sunday by Sunday, we're taking a passage of Scripture and we're digging into the text. And we're seeking to let the text speak. You know, so that it's, you know, it's, it's God's Word that's speaking. So what we want, you know, whether it's large group or small group, we want the text to open up like a flower opens in the morning sun. Okay, so, so that we're, we're hearing from, from God um, and not just the passions of the preacher or teacher or, or whatever. So that it's, we're, we're getting God's Word. The Word is opening up for us because when that happens, wow, the Spirit just moves and works uh, and, and fires our, our hearts and equips us and trains us. Um, so uh, one of the core values of our church is expositional preaching and teaching. Okay, that means that just built right into the very DNA and fabric of who we are at First Baptist is the expositional preaching and teaching of God's Word. You know, we, we, we want to be a people uh, who are, are, are placing ourselves under God's Word, not sitting in judgment over the Word, but letting the Word judge us, you know, and letting the Word form and shape us as people and as a people together for God's glory. Now, unfortunately, this is not the norm in churches today. Um, and, it, you know, it's not even the norm in churches that claim to believe the Bible today. But the issue is not just whether, you know, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. The issue is whether or not we believe, too, in the sufficiency of Scripture. In other words, do we really trust that the Bible is able to do what Second Timothy 3:16 and 17 says it will do? If we really believe that, then 
you know, one of the core values is going to be that we're going to be uh, dedicated, you know, to teaching God's Word, really teaching God's Word. Because if we don't, what's the result? You know, you can look around at our culture and see the result. You can even look around at the theological landscape in America and see the result. The result is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.14, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I mean, when you look around our culture, and even in church culture today, I mean, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people being tossed to and fro Okay, and, and that's because of a lack of the very thing that we're talking about. The, the expository preaching and teaching of God's Word. So, first of all, Spirit-filled community, a community where the Spirit is working through the teaching of God's Word. Second, a community where the Spirit is working through fellowship. So, Luke tells us, going on in verse 42, they devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. And it means to share in common. Okay, it, it meant to share in the sense of generosity and to share in common, to have things in common. For instance, the type of Greek that people spoke in the first century and the type of Greek that the New Testament is written in is koine Greek. That's the same word, koinonia. Koine just means common. Okay, so it, the New Testament was written in common Greek, the language of everyday people, everyday life, the, the, the language of the street, okay? Um, koine Greek, so co- common Greek, right? So koinonia means to share in common. Now, we're going to talk about a couple of aspects of what this means, okay? First of all, koinonia means to share in. To share in. It means that we share in a common love for Jesus. First John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Some of you have had the experience on the mission field of meeting people for the first time, and there may be a language barrier, there may be all kinds of cultural barriers, but you meet this person for the first time and you know, you know immediately and intuitively that you are connected to that person. That, that that person is related to you because they are your brother or sister in Christ. It's just this immediate connection, even though you've never met. Uh, Mike Horton, in his book, The Gospel Driven Life, uh, tells about something that happened uh, to him on a, a mission trip to, to Nicaragua some years ago. Mike says this, I'll never forget an evening in Nicaragua many years ago when a pastor and his wife prepared a dinner. 
supporting his family as a local lobster fisherman, the pastor brought home the makings of a spectacular feast from his catch that day. Cooked over a grate on top of a fire, the lobster roasted as a pig scurried beneath our feet on the mud floor. We prayed, laughed, and shared our lives as we dined, and it was nearly midnight before we felt compelled to call it quits. I discovered later that the pastor and his wife had traveled to the neighboring village to borrow chairs for the meal. Hospitality, not convenience, was their priority. Although this was the first time I had ever met this family, and we struggled to understand each other's language, I felt closer to them than I have ever felt to my next-door neighbors. And some of you can relate to that. Yeah, and whether it happens overseas or, or even, even in our own community, you know, you're out in public or in your job or whatever, and you meet somebody and there's, there's a certain radiance, there's a, there's a joy about their life, and you, and you think, you know, I, I bet they're a believer, and you find out that, that they are. You know, there, there's, there's this connection that's there when we have a love for Jesus in common. Um, and so we become, we become, we're family to one another. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you know, just in the past few weeks, I have had multiple people from our church um, spontaneously say to me, you know, when I went through this and health crisis or whatever, um, I, I can't tell you enough, I can't say enough about how my, the people in my Sunday school class were there for me. My small group, my, the people from church, my, fr- people, the, my friends from church, were just, they, were, they were making food, they were coming by, they were calling and, and checking, and I just, I knew that I was loved and I was experiencing God's love coming through them. And, and these testimonies were coming, as I, as I said, unsolicited, they were coming from people of different ages, Young people, middle-aged people, senior adults. That's what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about family. When people come to our church, we want them to find a family. And this is especially just crucial in our culture today when so many people are coming from, they grew up in dysfunctional families. But when they come here, we want them to experience a family of love. Right? Brothers and sisters in Christ joined together. So that's part of what koinonia is. Okay, it means that we share in this common love for the Lord, but it also means, koinonia also means that we share out. In fact, this will surprise you, but the word that the early Christians used for the offering was koinonia. They said it's it's time to take up the koinonia because that's another meaning of the word is generosity. Okay, so when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.13, when he talks here about the generosity of your contribution, that word contribution in Greek is koinonia. Okay, so it means, it means generosity and certain... Listen, when we look at the early church, 
Wow, what generosity we see. I mean, what does he say in verses 44 and 45? And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. I mean, this was radical. Now, it wasn't communism, okay, because in communism... uh, the ownership of private property was forbidden. We know that they weren't selling you know, all of their property because they met in homes. So their homes were absolutely critical to the life of the church. They weren't selling all their homes. Um, but, you know, <laughs> undeniably, I mean, they were just incredibly free with, um, with, and generous just in, in allowing giving and just and rather than trying to hold on to everything, I mean, they had the spirit of of letting go. Now, I mean, how do we account for that? You know? Um, I mean... And it, was, and it was just freely given, okay? In communism, okay, it's, the, the giving is forced, okay? But this is free, freely given. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. They were giving generously. They were giving cheerfully. The question is, why? Because, you know, we can safely assume that these people, before they were saved, I mean, they had the same impulses of their heart that every human being has. And the natural, our natural default mode is not to give. It's to grasp, okay, to hold tightly onto. It's very safe to assume that these people were like that before they met Jesus. I mean, so what had happened in their lives to just just totally change their perspective and transform them from people who were into grasping and holding on to people who were just so free and joyful in letting go. Well, first of all, their whole mindset had changed. Their whole paradigm had shifted from people who believed that you know, this life, it's all about this life. If you think that this life is all there is, okay, then you know, it's, um, it's all about here and now. Right? Just kind of uh, building our own kingdom and, and hoarding and everything else for, for here. Because it's all about here. Right, but their perspective had totally changed. They understood that, as James tells us, life on this earth is like what? It's like a vapor. You know, it's going to be quickly gone. This earth is not our home. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are just passing through here for a little while. We have got eternity in front of us. Which is why Jesus says, lay up your treasures where? <laughs> not on earth, right? But in heaven, right? We've, we've got eternity with the Lord. So these, these people understood that, you know what, my life here on earth is going to last for a little while, but I want to I make eternal investments because that's, that's, where, that's where almost most of my time is going to be spent, right? So that, that had changed. That was part of it. But here's another part. They were blown away by the gospel These people knew they had been rescued. Rescued. 
by God. And so they have the mindset of rescued ones. Yeah, and they, they hadn't gotten over it. They had not gotten over just the joy of being saved. And so they were blown away by what Jesus had done for them. You know, that they had received new life, that their sins, past, present, and future, were all under the blood of Christ because He died for them on the cross. And, and, and they knew that death had been defeated for them because Jesus rose from the dead. And, and so they were absolutely just filled with, with joy, with gratitude, and listen, when we have that mentality, then giving is just the, re- the reflex of our heart, right? It's the overflow of our, our heart. It's like First John tells us, we love, why? Because He first loved us. It's part of fellowship, is generosity. The teaching, fellowship, we're going to continue to walk through Uh, next time in this series, and we're going to talk about the breaking of bread and prayer and evangelism. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for the vision of Spirit-filled community that we have in this text. We pray that by Your Spirit that You would be forming us in our lives and in our life together to be uh, more and more... um, this kind of spirit-filled community as you fill us and as you shape us for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and uh, you'd like to know more just kind of about uh, Christianity, about the gospel, we would love to be able to talk with you uh, after the service. Or I'm going to be down here uh, at the front, uh, here at the end. Um, but we'll be around afterwards as well. If you want to talk with, with me or someone, we would love to do that. Um, if you'd like to know more about being a part of our church family, if you're saying, I'm ready uh, to take that step, um, and, j- and you're invited to come at the end of the service uh, today, and we would love uh, to, to welcome you uh, and to walk alongside you as brothers and sisters in Christ. If there's a need in your life, and you just want to pray with somebody today uh, before you leave, Uh, You can come now. We'll be here for you after the service as well. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your Son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in His finished work for me. In His name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as His beloved child. 
his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.